Welcome everyone to the Pantheon. I'm your host, Ray. Joining me is my fellow podcaster, Evie. Hello. And today we're profiling Hitchcock, giving you our picks of some of our favorite Hitchcock films. So I picked one, Evie has picked one, and we're going to review that and try to give you a bit of a background behind Hitchcock. So those of you who are film enthusiasts, hopefully this podcast will give you a bit of a background of the, of the director and of his films. So we're starting with my pick, and that's the movie Rope. That's the last time she ever saw him alive. And that's the last time you'll ever see him alive. What happened to David Kentley changed my life completely and the lives of seven others. It is a 1948 psychological crime thriller uh, based on a play that came out in 1929. Now, the reason why I picked this film, because in my personal opinion, it's probably Hitchcock's most ambitious technical film ever. This is a full-length movie that was shot in 10 shots. So what, what that means is that the moment Hitchcock uh, yelled action, he let the camera roll uh, right up until the end of the, f there was no longer any more film on the camera. So that was one long uh, shot. So, so think of this. So you have 10 recordings spliced together to make one full-length feature film. Now, you can imagine the how much of an ambition this really was because should their blocking be not set up or should a, a, an actor flub a line or things not line up properly, the entire film was thrown into the garbage. It was a waste. And it became a very expensive endeavor. And considering it's 1948, it's the first of its time. Now, my theory behind that whole thing is that uh, Orson Welles came out with Susan Cain. It, it broke many of the taboos in terms of filmmaking, it, it just in terms of creativity and camera angles, Orson Welles, uh, that was his first film, he became a breakthrough genius. Hitchcock has been doing it for 10 years at this point, and they recognized for an Academy Award, he's got none of that. So my theory was he was starting to feel unappreciated for being able to offer. Now keep in mind too, that in six years time, one of his best works does actually get recognized, and actually Evie's going to uh, give a profile of that movie uh, a little later on. So, what did Rope represent? The movie cost about a million bucks to make, and back in 1948, a million dollars was a lot of money. So, to put it in uh, more of a grander scheme, six years later, RKO Productions, tying in with Orson Welles, um, they went bankrupt because two of their big motion pictures. Uh, didn't do well in the box office, and they spent $2 million bankrolling these two motion pictures. As a result, they had to file for bankruptcy. So, consider Hitchcock's one film cost them over a million dollars to do. Not only that, um, it wasn't that great. It created a great deal, a specter, if you will, of um, like the last arc of like film from Hitchcock. But as a result, when it finally got out to the masses, it wasn't that good. And uh, case in point, Roger Ebert did a review of it in 1984, and he even said, this is not one of his more better films, and I have to agree. But in terms of a technical marvel, uh, this was cutting-edge stuff. It hasn't been done since then for a number of decades. It, it was applied years later on, and it was great. Now, what made Rope such an intense movie, too, it's the first uh, Technicolor film which Hitchcock did. It's the first picture of its time ever to be shot, 10 shots, and it was done in real time with a close set. So it was revolutionary. The film takes place uh, in an apartment building in Manhattan. Uh, these two young men plot the most intellectual crime, giving out, in their opinion, was the perfect murder. They actually kill another man, 
and, and hold a dinner party that same night in their apartment building. And they put the body uh, in this little, um, I won't say what it is, but as a result, when the, when the guests arrive, the place where the body is kept into, they use it as a buffet table, which is in itself, which kind of tells you Hitchcock's ability to draw attention to something and tension at the same time. Mouse, cat, mouse. Hello. Which is the cat and which is the mouse? Another man. He's got it. He knows. He knows. He knows. All right. He knows. Easy. I'll take care of your boat. I just as soon kill you as kill him. And the guests who arrive have a connection to the victim, and that's the father of the victim, the aunt of the victim, the fiancé of the victim, as well as the fiancé's uh, former lover, who's also the, a former best friend of the victim, as well as their headmaster from prep school, played by Jimmy Stewart, who we just heard in our trailer. Oh, by the way, we just heard the actual 1948 trailer of the film. Now, it was developed back in their days in prep school uh, through with their headmaster, played by Jimmy Stewart, where in a lecture he gave the idea of the theoretical nature of committing a crime, and that stemmed this whole thing. So bringing uh, James Stewart in, uh, that was kind of a, a bit of a bonus thing for Hitchcock. And nonetheless, I'm going to cut it there. This, in terms of storyline, is a brilliant conceptual piece. Uh, Hitchcock does his best in terms of conveying tension and a little bit of humor, which Hitchcock is known to doing, and bringing doing a, th a really cool thriller. Again, not his best works, but you know, his one of his best works came six years later. And Evie, what was that one? Um, that was called Rare Window. It's about a journalist who took photos all over the world who had a accident. Um, and as a result, broke both of his legs. This is the scene of the crime, a crime of passion filmed in a way you have never seen before and as no one else would dare attempt. But the screen's master of suspense, the producer-director who shocked the world with Psycho. He was uh, in a wheelchair for uh, two months and he had a week left and he could take off both of the casts on his leg. So um, until that point, uh, he actually looked at people uh, through their windows doing all sorts of things like dancing, singing, or, or you know, just spying on them. Uh, until one day he sees a man and a woman, and he seems to think uh, that the man killed a woman, or so he thought. So he tells his fiance that, um, and is made slash masseuse that so they all help him spy on this couple and it really turns into a big thing mm -hmm. and I won't spoil it for you but but I felt that this movie was really good at first I didn't like it but then I kept watching and thought it was amazing um, you know Hitchcock is really a man of mystery and he knows how to put ideas on film I would say go out and rent that movie. I liked it. I think you will too. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I think, Evie, you hit it the nail on the head on this one. Uh, it's the elephant in the room, so to speak. The movie was made in 1954, and it's based really about a man who is a peeping Tom. And society back then, and not so much different than it is now, uh, we frown upon 
the idea of a someone who's a peeping Tom. It's kind of creepy. Though, I mean, in today's society, we have voyeurism taking on a whole different uh, uh, perspective because now that people take selfies and there's these uh, phone hacking scandals and and things being up in the cloud and, and what have you. So uh, technology and how we view things have changed slightly, but the norm still has remained over the course of these decades. Um, you know, voyeurism is a sense there is a privacy issue, uh, there's an uncomfortableness, and there's that the viewers have in watching James Stewart uh, do what he's doing. Um, is one of the reasons why it's so intriguing that Hitchcock did a film specifically like that and the initial reactions would have caused that because again thinking about when it when the film was created i mean you know america um you know compared to european standards of looking at uh voyeurism and sexuality uh it was very uptight so uh, again breaking a sort of taboo uh in terms of filmmaking uh so uh, that was one of the things that I think Evie uh, really hit on, on the head, saying that, you know, we didn't, as you're watching it, you really wanted to turn away from watching this, uh, yet uh, those who stuck stuck with it uh, were definitely rewarded from the film. Uh, what I do want to talk about, sorry, uh, quickly, is about some of the stars in this film. This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. For instance, down there on the second floor, the woman pacing about. He calls her Miss Lonely Hearts. So lonely that even death seems like a friend. These are the newlyweds on a honeymoon no one will ever forget. He calls her Miss Hearing Aid, an artist of a very odd and strange art. The songwriter who plays the same melody over and over again. A genius or insane? This is the traveling salesman and his invalid wife. Out of their arguments and nagging comes a weird kind of love. Miss Torso, the body beautiful, that is, viewed from a safe distance. Those are just a few of my neighbors. First I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them, just as you won't be able to. And you won't be able to take your eyes off the glowing beauty of Grace Kelly, who shares the heart and curiosity of James Stewart in this story of a romance shadowed by the terror of a horrifying secret. I, my only reference to Raymond Burr at the time was Perry Mason right, or yeah. Ironside. So right. my, this is the first time seeing him play a character who suggested to be evil or uh, a villain. Grace Kelly has done three films with Hitchcock. It's within a two-year span. Uh, just before doing Rear Window, she did the movie uh, Doll M for Murder. Which Hitchcock, uh, Hitchcock was so impressed by her, he immediately cast her for this movie. And then the following year, he cast her in To Catch a Thief with Cary Grant. Uh, that's how impressed how he was with her as an actress, as an individual, and as a strong character. Uh, you call him his temporary muse, as Woody yeah. Allen does with uh, Mia Farrow. Uh, it was one of the things that uh, stood out uh, and, of course, made Grace Kelly almost a living legend in, in Hollywood before becoming royalty, which I thought was great. 
Uh, now, to give you an idea in terms of his box office success, because it was the fifth grossing film for that year. Mm. The number one film that came out that year in 1954 was White Christmas in terms of uh, overall success. Um, he never won the Oscar, but he was recognized for the work. And that was the first time he got recognized for being a classic storyteller yeah. and a great person to bring out a thriller. Uh, there's a scene with a dog in the, in the garden, yeah. uh, bringing tension to a scene, a chill. Brilliant, a brilliant paced uh, craftsman in, in, this, in the art of thriller and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm Ray. I'm Evie. We'll talk to you later.